understanding. Thank you, Lord, that health, wholeness, soundness, transformation, everything that we need in life comes from your word, Lord, your holy word. Your word is without blame. It's without fault. It can't fail. It's perfect in everything, Father. So we thank you, Lord, for the the privilege of sitting before you to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to talk about uh, gratitude, the missing ingredient. Amen. Gratitude is the missing ingredient. Uh, Many times in our concern about life, about things, about I think especially uh, in areas where we feel that uh, we maybe have lack and we're waiting and we've been waiting and we continue to be waiting and more waiting. Uh, your patience really is being tested. Amen. Uh, because God wants us more than anything, more than he wants you to get your stuff. Now, he wants you to have your stuff. If he didn't, he wouldn't have promised it to you. But a promise is as good as is the bank as far as God is concerned because he knows he's going to keep his word. thing we don't know, we don't know if he's going to keep it. So we're being tested. His word's already tried. It's passed every test it's been put under. And so his word has been tried and it's come up flawless every single time. And so God really is testing us to see if we will believe him or not. That's what the Bible says. What that means is that word believe really means to have faith and confidence and continue to believe even in difficult circumstances. And so God wants us to be people of faith. He wants us to be people of confidence in him. And he wants us to continue to believe on him, believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And so over a long period of time, we might get weary frustrated upset this happens more than you know and it happens more to defeat people than anything that i've witnessed personally i I, you know i don't keep statistics on it but i've noticed that people sometimes will start to get uh, not so joyful they don't lift their hands during corporate worship Uh, they don't smile their countenance shows everything and so, uh, you know, even in the presence of God, where there's fullness of joy, you have to respond to it. And so little by little, the enemy starts to chip away at him, and he'll start telling them, oh, you know, remember, uh, God said you were going to get this, and God said you have God said. You understand what I'm saying? He'll get into them like that, and pretty soon they're angry at God, and they've fallen away from the faith where they once believed and once held on to the promise of God, now they don't, they're not so sure. And now, they, and then they get mad. Of course, they get mad at the preacher. That's common. You know what I'm saying? They blame you for everything. And so it's, it's kind of, um, unfortunate, but that is the test that we're under. Because God has to see that you're more than a good time friend. You understand what I'm saying? He's got to see that you're, you're, your commitment to him matches his commitment to you. Now, human beings will do that to each other. Huh? You know, you, you get to going out with some brother and you know, you think he's all this and all that. And, you know, it's, he kind of don't want to commit 
and you committed everything you know to commit and he still don't give in. Well, just move on, okay? Take a hint and move on. He ain't the one. You can't make him the one. I don't care. Listen, I'm going to the Y. I've been wanting to go over there and check out their facilities anyway. Huh? Now, if you think you can make him the one, (laughs) you're mistaken. You got me? So it's just time to pack it all in, talk to God some more, and don't cross that kind of bridge. But everybody wants to see some commitment out of somebody that they commit to. Huh? At least enough to satisfy God. You know, now I'm not talking about going over and beyond what God would have a person commit to you to. Because God is in the middle of all of our commitments when we commit to one another as people. You know, God has to uphold that himself, even though you're involved in it. You know, when Israel made a, 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 a an unwise covenant with the Gibeonites, God upheld it. And he said, well, you can't, them people are really your enemies, but you can't lay a hand on them now because your word is how I'm upholding that covenant. You spoke with them people and they deceived you to get it. You know, so you got to understand these things as far as what God does to uphold his word. Got me? Because he will hold us to a standard equivalent with his character not our little flimsy emotional love him this day hate him that day that kind of stuff he holds us to his standard when it comes to commitment and what the things that we do uh, down here on this earth are concerned and so god wants us to have his character at all times whether your answer is slow fast not coming not coming for many years uh, you ain't seen it yet and it don't look like it might get here anytime soon. Or you think it, thought it was going to be this way and now it's done, gone south that way. And it was far enough south the last time now it's gone further south and you thought it couldn't go no further south. It did. You got me? And so God wants to see what you going to do. Amen. Because he knows what he's going to do. You got to know what you're going to do. So he tests us in our commitment in certain things and tests us in our trust in him. And I think we can, we can short, we can shorten our misery time. We can shorten our waiting time. We can shorten our, our, um, disappointments. If we will keep a right attitude and gratitude has to be a part of it. You understand? And I mean really a grateful heart. Not just saying you are grateful and having words of gratitude, but having a grateful heart in the things that are important to God. Not just in material things. Because see, this is where Christians make that mistake. Because you'll see people say, oh, I'm so thankful. And you know, they, they got, they're comfortable in the natural. But see, one day, sweetie, God's going to, Yank that up too. It ain't going to be as comfortable and natural as here right now. You understand what I'm saying? Because he's looking at your character. And, and sometimes the more we announce something, the more we're tested on it. The Bible says you're condemned or justified by your own words. 
Just like these people think love is so important. Well, you will be tested. You got going to bring some people in your life that's hard to love. Because that's your standard. See, you put that out there. Huh? Or you always criticizing other people because they're mean and they don't love people. Well, you go get some hard ones. You're going to know what it's like to be them. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? You will. See, it's your own words that condemn or justify you. So you're trying to hold your little Bible of you, what's in your mind and what you think is important. And you're trying to hold everybody else to your standard. Well, God's going to hold you to that triple. And you can't understand why your life is so hard. Shut your mouth. Number one, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Quit talking up stuff and trying to be all this and all that. Amen. Let's be a normal Christian. Say, God, you know what? I hope it ain't nothing real rough coming around the road because I don't feel like, I don't feel like a buck and bronco ride today. You know, let's lay low and do your part. But gratitude really is a missing ingredient because many times we allow the things that have not yet been experienced in our lives to become the dominant thing in our lives. When what you're lacking becomes very important, you got to watch yourself on your gratitude level in life. Got me? You should never let lack dominate the picture in your mind, you shouldn't let lack dominate your thoughts. You shouldn't let what's missing from your life become your life's work to get that. Sometimes we put too much emphasis, too much energy into obtaining something that we haven't received yet. And see, it, it the devil will haunt you with that. He'll... When are you going to get this? When are you finally find yourself after you committed to God for something, believe him and start praying. Somehow all of a sudden this little voice starts bugging you about when it's coming every day. And and if you don't put that little voice in check by saying, God, whether I get it or not, I'm thankful. I, I thank you, Lord, that I'm saved. I thank you, Lord, that you've blessed me as far as you bless me. I thank you. And have it in your heart to be grateful, not just your mouth, mouth and gratitude, because you can't fool God. The Bible says to say, give thanks with a grateful heart. Let it be heartfelt. And that, that, that requires meditation on the goodness of God on your part. So if you're thinking lack all day long and then start saying, I'm grateful, you're lying. Because what you meditate on is what's important to you. You don't have nothing in your head all day long that you don't think is important. Because the reason you capture it and meditate on it and hold on to it is because something about it is attractive to you. People get obsessed about things that are not right in their lives or things that haven't been right in the past and they can't get beyond that. And then you will say, well, I'm thankful to God. No, you're not. You're obsessed with lack. You're obsessed with other people's faults toward you, other people's sins toward you, other people's shortcomings toward you. You're obsessed with that. 
You can't be obsessed with that and gratitude at the same time. A grateful heart sometimes needs to petition God to show you what he's done for you so you can be grateful for it. You can't just make these stories up. You can't just conjure up scenarios of God came through for me or God came to bat for me or blah, 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 blah. He's got to show you these things. He's got to reveal himself to you. Where he was in your life, what 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 caused him to show up for you, what you did and what you didn't do and all of those things that comes through relationship with him. So gratitude comes through relationship. It doesn't come through reading what God did for somebody else. It doesn't come from watching videos of, of the wonderful preachers on television. It comes through relationship with God. Do you take time to sit down and meditate with God and ask him to help you make sense of your life? God, I went through so-and-so for so many years. Where were you when I was? You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you just need to drop in on him and ask him where he was. And why couldn't you get to me? And why couldn't you help me? And why couldn't you get me out of that? And so from these questions will come God's answers. From these questions. And I'm not saying he's going to answer you everything in one day and you know, like you got him under the naked light bulb and slapping him around in your basement. But one day when you're just doing almost nothing, all of a sudden the light will come on and you'll see yourself. You'll see things. You'll see. Like I, I, I for years, I, I was angry at my parents. I thought they didn't do what they should do for us children. And then the Lord just had me one day sit down and think about what life like might have been like for my mother and where she came from you understand what i'm saying and and how terrifying it might have been to come north with a man you were newly married to and you didn't know what that entailed and you were used to going out on the family farm and grabbing all the food you wanted now you got had to get money to go to the store And you could only get what he brought home from work because you have four children to take care of. You got me? You locate me? See, things, when, when God takes you there, and I'm, I'm, this isn't something I conjured up. You know, these are things that when you ask God or you have questions in your heart or you have things that, that bug you, relationship with God becomes extremely important because he can help you to get beyond your judgment your anger your fear your all of that kind of nonsense just through relating to him so then you begin to know what it's really like to be a priest a royal priesthood even though you feel like crap because you judged your poor mother all those years and she was struggling doing the best she could with what she had. And now you know it. Because now that you're an adult and you can think more like an adult person would, you can step into her place 
And then you'll be thankful that you didn't have to go through that. She went through it and, and she had enough courage to start a family and do her best struggling to raise a family. And now you have an opportunity to live a better life. And then you start to feel like, hmm? <laughs> then the judgment leaves. And then the gratitude comes in. And then you see that they struggled, but leaving for a better life for you. And no, God has come into your life and provided, and that causes you to be even more thankful. If you got good sense, you understand what I'm saying? You got good sense. You know, God knows how to reach us. And he knows how to make us thankful. He really does. Then you look at others in your age group and what they did with their lives. And you think, well, how did I escape all of that? You understand? I mean, here I am free from all that. You know, God has to show you this stuff. It takes time with him so that he can walk you through and take you to a place called I'm grateful. Amen. He'll get you there. Because there is that place for all of us. And so God wants us to live there, dwell there, abide there, never move from that. Huh? He left Israel instructions for how to stay grateful. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate in it day and night. Do what's in it. Make your way successful. Then he tell them, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some miracles for you and I want you to set up memorials to those miracles. And when your children come by in, in generations from now and ask, what do these stones mean? You'll tell them, this is where God brought us through this. And so I want you to teach your children to be grateful by rehearsing in their ears all of the things, wonderful things that I've done for you. Huh? Don't fall short on that, folks. Don't fall short on reminding your children of your testimony. Amen. Some of them won't like it. They say, oh, Ma, you embarrassing us. I don't want people to know our business. Huh? You don't have no business. Your business is to carry on what God has laid down for you. Because it would be a big tragedy if you didn't, if you fell short. So yeah, you just gotta, you gotta live with mom embarrassing you, but I'm gonna glorify God. I'm gonna talk about what God, huh? And I'm helping you by doing it. You understand what I'm saying? So, so these things have to be, they have to be communicated. They have to be imparted. They have to be transferred from one individual to another, one generation to another, because it's easy for a generation to fall out of gratitude and out of favor, out of, you know, there are people who are communists and socialists running for president of this nation because they're dealing with a bunch of disgruntled young people that don't know God. They took God out of everything a long time ago. This ain't new. You know, that's the communist manifesto. Rule number one, first you take God away from the people. You got me? So when you have a godless people, people are going to look for any God. So then they'll look to government. If they can look to government as their God, that's even better. 
because you can promise them a lot of things and never give it to them. They'll continue to put you in office. That's been proven. That's been proven. You don't have to do anything for people. All you got to do is promise. You got a God who promises, but he fulfills what he says he's going to do. He's not a politician. He's God. And so we have to understand how to transfer gratitude onto other people, how to transfer it in your surroundings, in your family, how to embrace it yourself and how to live with a grateful heart at all times to God, because gratitude is is will be many times a missing ingredient in some of our waitings, some of our lack, some of our longing. Gratitude will be what's missing. Amen. Gratitude will be what's missing. Um, in John chapter six, I think we'll go there. First turn to Luke chapter nine, if you don't mind, and we'll start nine verse ten. It's a story about Jesus feeding the five thousand people. It says and the apostles when they were returned told him all that they had done. So they had gone out and and uh, ministered under the anointing and and they came back and they're having the uh I call it the minister's reception. <laughs> Amen. Uh I've been trying to have one for many years, haven't quite got there yet, but you know, we keep working on it. Uh, that they had done and he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. The Bethsaida was a place where Jesus could not do a lot of miracles because of the unbelief there. It was more of an unbelieving city. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and healed them of need that had, that, that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said to him, send them away. So they can go to these different cities and stuff and go buy them some food because we're out here in no man's land. Now, it, when it says a desert place, it really means it's deserted of commerce. It's not dry dust desert because you see in the next account, they were sitting down on grass. So it, it wasn't like it was a, a, a dry desert place. And it wasn't like... There wasn't a Mickey D's in walking distance. You got me? Because the disciples offered that as an option for how they should get fed. Let's not keep them here until dark where it's going to be harder for them to get to the next city and get some food. They came from somewhere. So they all got houses. They got, they got place to eat somewhere. So the disciples really want to bust the meeting up early because of the game coming on at one o'clock. Listen to Jesus. It's the same thing. Whether it's a good excuse or a bad excuse, if you busting up the meeting early, it's wrong. You don't bust up his meeting until he says it's time to bust it up. So turn over to. Uh, but it says, it says, uh, uh, so they can go to towns around and lodge and then get some food for we are here in a desert place. And he said, give them something to eat. In other words, you feed them. Huh? If you're so concerned about people eating, you feed them. If somebody's concerned about you, 
they will take care of that need for you. That's how you know what real concern is. James says, uh, how can you tell your brother, if you see your brother in need, you tell him, just be filled, be healed, be warm, go home, you know. How can you do that and say you love him? Amen. So when you love someone, you will make provision for them. It's called hospitality. All ministers are supposed to have that as your first ministry. Huh? So you don't get up to sing. You don't get up to preach. You don't get up to take an offering. You don't get up to do your mime. Whatever you do. You don't get up to do none of that until you've demonstrated competence in hospitality. How do people feel about you? Do they leave your presence feeling better or wondering why you didn't provide even a cup of cold water? That's better than giving them a prophecy for many of them, you know. We think that's what we're supposed to do. Tell them what God said. Well, did God tell you that I, was <laughs> that I don't have but $2 in my purse? I got six kids at home getting ready to be. Can he tell you that about me? Just a thought. You understand what I'm saying? We just, you know, basic human needs. Sometimes it's best to kind of like focus there. You'll get them saved. You'll get them healed. Sometimes it's first things first, though. Amen. It's first things first. So turn over to John chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So you get a picture now of this is kind of like a private place of solitude, deserted from where the main road is, deserted from where the main flow of people is. So he's in a deserted place, but it's not desolate. So it's not like, and you know, people ain't crazy. They won't go out in the middle of a dry desert to see nobody. They don't care how many miracles you do if it's going to take them too far away from the golden arches. You know what I'm saying? They just want to stay where it's comfortable and secure. But they follow Jesus because they have a hunger for his word. They have a hunger for righteousness. And, and Jesus is preached that if you have that hunger, it will be filled. He won't let you go hungry for the things of God forever. Amen. It will be filled. The things that we're believing God for, more miracles, more healing, more people to come receive miracles and healing, will be filled. Amen. It's the right thing to hunger for. Amen. And so God is going to fill, fulfill his word in these people. So these people follow him. He had gone up to a mountain and there he sat with his disciples And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come to him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So he asks his disciples, 
to produce something or to give him an answer. He wants to know. They already want to send him away because they don't feel a responsibility to feed them. Don't sit under people. Don't receive from them. Don't give them your money if they have no desire to feed people who are hungry. If all they talk about is you prospering and them prospering and buying big things and buying that and they don't feed the hungry in their own congregation. This is Jesus' own congregation. I'm not talking about sending a thousand dollars a month to feed the poor off in some foreign country. I'm talking about welcoming hungry people in their own congregation. You got me? Making sure that those in their midst are fed. Why are you going to go way over to India somewhere and look for hungry people when you got hungry people right here in your church, in your city? Jesus told Peter, he said, if you love me, feed He wasn't talking about just the word. Well, feed them, period. Whatever they need. Meet the needs of my people. Huh? Just period. We have, just to show you how much God honors that, the Salvation Army used to be like the, the, uh, (laughs) you know, that was the evangelistic ministry of, of their move of God, of their time of God, they would go out into the streets. They would go into bars. They would go outside of bars and beat the tambourine and pray for people. And God would send them drunks out of bars. They would stop them. They'd get saved. Whatever they needed, those people would meet that need. I don't have a place to stay. We got a shelter for you to stay in. This is all done. It didn't, wasn't done with government assistance. And it wasn't no, uh, wasn't them grant proposals and all that kind of stuff to, you're granted by God, by faith, to take care of people who have need. But the Salvation Army became noted as a place where you could come and get every single need met. They never had to turn anybody away and say they didn't have the resources to help them. So much so that even now, though their evangelistic thrust has diminished out of persecution. Now people get persecuted. They cut back on the preaching of the gospel. But to date, to this day, they, they are the most prosperous. They raise more money every year than any other ministry that's ever been known. And they top everybody year after year after year. Um, wonder why. Could it be that they're feeding people? They're taking care of the poor? Huh? Because they are known for that. To this day, they have soup kitchens. They have shelters. They always take, whether you come in and hear the gospel and get saved or not, they will take care of that need. Well, they're the body of Christ and God honors it. Amen? And so if if he has to allow them to be the ones to do it because they're determined to do it because everybody else won't do it, then he'll bless them and he'll prosper them. 
The Bible says if you give to the poor, you lend what you give to God. You, In other words, he's indebted to you now because you gave something to somebody that doesn't have it and you have no way to get it back from them. So you cast your bread upon the waters after many days. It's going to come back to you because God honors that. So feeding the poor is pretty much up there in his mind all the time. So here the disciples are, and they're wondering, oh, all these people, we're going to do is all these people. We got all these people around here. You know, there's some people, you go to their meetings, their conferences. You know, you volunteer, they work you to death. Don't feed you, give you a lunch break. You can't go and find food, and then you miss half the meetings and so forth. They make no provision for anything like that. This figure, well, these people are adults. They can go get their own food. Well, not everybody can do that. There are some people who go by faith and just have enough to get there and get a hotel room and say, oh, I forgot to believe God for money for food. Well, I'm going amongst God's people, you know. People in charge should be able to meet some of that. You understand? It's their meeting. People are coming to their meeting to be fed and taken care of by God. Don't muzzle the ox that treads the corn. No, anybody come and work you to death and don't make provision for you to eat? That's not God. Now, they may be talking about God and praying and all that kind of stuff, but God would never put you under that kind of stress. Huh? He'll feed you. It's their responsibility to see to it that you get fed. So here they are. They go up to the mountain and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come, he asked Philip, where are we going to, how are we going to, by bread that these all these people are going to eat he said this to prove him for he knew himself what he was going to do so jesus already knows what's going to happen but he needs to find out where his followers are where his leadership people are amen where his people that he's training to be ministers he wants to find out what they think and how they respond to this type of a need. It's easy to be a good preacher when everybody's fed, clothed, everything else. But when there's lack and there's need, that may make it a challenge for you. Now, what we do is we teach people to believe God for their own needs. That is part of our responsibility as ministers here. But the other part, too, is to make sure there's no lack out there among the people. You understand me? So it, that's why sometimes we'll we'll ask people, well, how are you doing? Did you get your money released? Did you get this? Did you get that? So that there's an opportunity to bless and to encourage and to meet needs among the congregation period people. We were many times we had love gifts. People would that was very common. Before everybody learned how to believe God for money for conferences, we didn't leave anybody behind. We refused to leave people behind. And so it, it was common. We'd ask people, you got any extra? We need a love gift for somebody and you know, we'll see to it that they get there. 
So you don't have to go up to people and tell them, I want to kick in some money for you. And then you want to follow the money and get mad at us because we do it a different way. You understand what I'm saying? You do it so that you believe God can honor it. So, but that's part of being, being Christians, being responsible believers is to make sure there's no lack among anybody in the congregation. So God will test us just like he did his disciples here. When he talked to Philip, he asked him, how are we going to take care of this, Philip? He said this to prove him, verse 6, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip said, I don't know. He says, uh, you know, he's talking about what's maybe what's in the offering or whatever he thinks is available, naturally speaking. 200 pennies worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may take a little, man. So he said, even if we got that much money together, not everybody's going to get enough to eat to even make a difference. So it's just going to be a little bit. Whatever comes to you from your carnal, natural mind will never meet the need. It will never meet the need. You're going to have to go into the depths of God's heart to find out how this need is going to be met. You're always going to come up short when you look at the natural, when you look at natural resources, when you look at what you think is available that you can go and buy for a large contingent like this. It's always going to come up short. Jesus is always looking for his disciples to use their faith. Why Philip doesn't figure this out yet, I don't know. But the answer is, maybe I should see, talk to God and see how he wants me to handle this. Instead of trying to handle it out of my own mind and my own resources. So Jesus then puts them on the spot for the source of their answer to everything that goes on. You see this over and over and over again when he talks with the disciples, especially in these little private gatherings where he's trying to explain to them spiritual truths and begins to expound some of the things that he's been teaching. He's waiting for somebody to come up with a spiritual answer to his questions. That's why he rebuked them and he says, how long am I going to put up with you? How long is it going to be before you learn how to tap into that place in you that has the answers like I do? That's what Jesus did. He tapped into that place within himself where the Holy Spirit gave him perfect answers. Well, Jesus had the spirit without measure, but they could do it in the measure that they had. They could certainly come up with a better response than send them away before it gets too dark or we're going to come up short anyway. That's never God's answer. God's answer is never coming up short. God's answer is always more than enough. God's answer is always abundance for everybody. God's answer. And Jesus is trying to teach them how to hold their peace and seek God and come up with the right answer. I don't know that they ever did, to be honest with you. They were always a little short on their answers. So it, 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 in one of his disciples, verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, I've got somebody here 
There's a little boy here that's got five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Now here's a man that has the answer and ain't spiritual enough to know he's got the answer. Now think about it. Huh? You got the answer, but you don't think that's the answer. (laughs) God gives you the answer, but you don't think that's the answer. Whether or not, what judgment you put on the answer depends on how you see what you have. Do you see it the way God sees it? Or do you see it the way it is in the natural? If you look at it with natural eyes, you never see it as changing. But if you look at it the way God sees it, you look at it as seed. That if it's given over to his power, it can feed a multitude. Jesus always saw with God's eyes. He always saw with the eye of faith. I think many of us sitting here, we want something different. I don't tell me you don't because I've been listening for two hours all in prayer requests. Y'all be praying for this. Hype this up that and mow this. And hum, 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 hum. Blow it up, bust it up. And start all over again. I want more, 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 more. Suppose I told you what you have now is more than adequate for you. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> Give me my promise back. Don't take that away from me. Who do you think you are taking my dream? You dream stealer, you. I've been nursing this little dream since I was a little girl. It hadn't happened yet, but I'm still nursing it. Sometimes the more it's lacking, the harder we hold on to it. You ever notice that? And you really want to get rid of it and let it go, but it's all you got. And you just <laughs> What do you mean I can't have? You mean to tell me I can't be a millionaire? Taking my dreams from me. So Jesus already knows the answer and he's going to reveal it to them. But he has to demonstrate, you know, there's something about God demonstrating answers that makes them more real than just verbally. So he puts it out there. You know, usually the disciples are like, Jesus has a question. I'm going to answer it first. Me first, me first. Nobody's volunteering with an answer for this one. Because this one's really stumping them. How are we going to feed all these people? He won't let us send them away. We want to send them away. We don't want to feed nobody. So he's got that unbelief out there. Then there's the guy that finds a little... You know, or the guys looking for money, I could go by, but that ain't enough, Jesus. Oh, no. And the guy with the little meal, a little happy meal, 
The little boy is probably looking at them like, y'all done took my lunch. Huh? Stole a little boy's lunch. I found this on this kid over here. Thank God it didn't believe belong to a grown man. There's probably some men out there with a meal, but he's scared to take that, so he took that. Some stuff is easier to confiscate than others. <laughs> but what Jesus is demonstrating here to his disciples is the difference between the spirit and the flesh. He's always demonstrating that. He goes around, everybody has a turn now to tell their answer and they're all speaking from the natural. Our flesh will never, um, it will always either overestimate or underestimate situations. Because the only real answer is the answer of the spirit. So I don't care how many times your flesh guesses at something, it'll either be over or under. You gotta tap into the realm of the spirit to find out how to do these things and what the real answer is. How do we respond to lack? Our response, it will greatly determine the final outcome. The way you characteristically respond to lack will greatly determine your final outcome. The Bible tells us if we lack anything, what do we need to do? We come to God who tells us how to do things. Many times we'll live in lack and have a program that we conjure up that only creates more lack. You ever notice that? And then you get, if you try to be in a gerbil on a wheel, you just jump off one side and say, man, I'm tired. Let me think about something else, a different way I can do this because I'm just running around this little wheel and I can get nowhere. You lack, you sweating, and you fatigued. Your characteristic response to lack will determine your outcome. God is trying to to change our characteristic response to lack. Most people get anxious when lack comes about or when it's revealed. And see, in anxiety, the devil's got you. You're the gerbil on the wheel again. He'll put you on that wheel and let you run until you just get tired, drop off, and, you know. So the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Then you halfway try to pray and you get mad because it don't come right away. And then you triple mad. Huh? So, but there is a, a characteristic perfect way to respond to lack and God will show it to you sometimes lack comes because of carnal dreams and carnal desires we create our own lack by wanting so much stuff huh we do and we call it being spiritual I don't know how many people get pushed into trying to believe God for something that God didn't put in their hearts just because everybody else in church is saying they got it coming to. You got me? No. We just borrow other people's lack and trouble sometimes, you know? And the last thing we do sometimes is go into Word and find out what God has for us. But we want to keep up with the Joneses in church. 
you know, the Joneses aren't all, are not only out there in the world we try to keep, but we got Joneses in church we try to keep up with. You understand? So we will borrow lack off of other people because we think we're supposed to because we're saved now. I'm supposed to want this. Well, think about it. That's okay to want it, but you got to let God put the answer on the inside of you. And many times we don't stop by the word and get God's answer for us. We just run around trying to create our own answer because we think we're supposed to want it because we're Christians. And other Christians want it and they all have it. And Well, you know, so-and-so's got teachings on prosperity and, you know, we all got to be debt-free and we all got to do this. We all got, you understand what I'm saying? You hear me? So y'all got to get off the gerbil wheel. You know what I'm saying? And and start understanding how to really live for God, live in covenant with God. Live out of a personal assurance that God has given you that he is your source, your supply, your strength, your shield, your buckler, your high tower. He's your savior, he's your healer. He's all of the above. So what God is doing is getting us off of YouTube, Facebook, TV, and all that, and into his word to have relationship with him so we can get personal assurance that we have a wealth inside of us that we can draw from anytime we have a lack in the natural. You draw from that inner wealth. You stay out here in the the mainstream of media. You're always going to be get ready, get ready, get ready, or you just missed it, missed it, missed it. It'll never come and park itself in your garage. Because your inner man is void of the power of God and the knowledge of God for how to break through out of the natural realm of lack and break into the realm where there's there's abundance of all things, where the cattle on a thousand hills reside, where God freely gives you all things. You got to step into that level of abundance in God so that you don't have any anxieties. You don't have any cares. When you see something come in your mailbox that says you're about to lose everything you got, you can just rejoice in God and say, God, I am exceeding glad because my faith is being tested and I know I will pass this test. It's not above you. And you're going to take care of this need. And believe God to pay the bill. Believe God to cancel the debt. Believe him to do whatever you need to believe him to do. But stay with God in his word until you get that assurance that it's coming. Philip confessed lack of money. So he doesn't have an answer. Andrew looks at somebody's lunch. That lunch, that's covetousness. Y'all got the same Bible I got? That's what I thought. Turn that little boy's lunchy into Jesus. He got something here. He says, something here. Both of them came up with the answer, we can't do it. It's not adequate. 
See, you started out with a situation of known lack, and then you get an answer, and you get lack again. See, that's what that's a trap of the carnal mind. Your carnal mind will always come up with an answer that either increases the lack, huh, or it will confirm the lack. Of course, your carnal mind is born in sin and shaped in iniquity. It's in debt already. Your carnal mind's in poverty. It's in poverty because of your sin. You understand? Because it's prone to sin. So it's prone to mess you up anyway. Why are you listening to your carnal man? Why are you searching through your little mind for answers? Why are you going through that route for anything? At least the other disciples were smart. They shut up. They didn't add to the lack. They didn't add to the disappointment. They didn't add to the disgruntlement. Huh? Proverbs 3, 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not to our own understanding. Problem. Both of these disciples problem. They are leaning to their own understanding. Because they're coming up. Their answer just confirms more lack. Any answer your carnal mind gives you will get you into more debt, give you more lack, give you more, you got me? They said, what are these among so many? So after Jesus gets all the negative answers that he can handle for one day, he tells them to tell the men to sit down in groups. So he goes about, in verse 10, he goes about implementing the plan. Faith acts like something is coming when nothing is visible. Now, why did Jesus tell them to sit down? Huh? Because God is a God of order. God wants to make sure that he doesn't let greed get involved in the distribution of a miracle. Huh? What do I mean? Distribution of a miracle, greed getting involved. Whenever there's lack and somebody comes in to correct it, greed always shows up. Now, if you don't believe it, you look at some of these people we elected to Congress. They've been making like $180,000 a year. Some have been there for 20 years, but my computer don't, don't add that up to be 20 and $40 million. So somebody then got some extra. And see, if you're the person that can, can write the bills and enact the laws to make your greed legitimate, you just make it legal. But there's greed involved in everything. Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, when he took over, what is it, HUD he does? He found that there was theft in the amount of billions of dollars. First thing they did was had the books audited. When they had the books audited, they found billions of dollars unaccounted for on the books. So, and these are people who are helping poor people get housing. 
<laughs> it's always what you do for the poor that reveals who you really are. So by the time you get your little apartment, your little chip or what do they give you to cash, get into an apartment, the big money's gone. You could be in a high rise just like they are if they give you all your money. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, for the amount that's allocated, you mean to tell me billions are stolen? Think if those billions had been given to people they were supposed to be helping. They could be living in something better than a tenement in a ghetto somewhere. They can go out and build a house somewhere that's worth living in. So whenever lack is being corrected, you will find greed. Jesus tells them to sit down, to bring in order, whereby when the, the provision starts to flow, nobody gets out of hand. He's expecting provision to come for everybody, and he has a system and an order by which it's distributed. He has that for everybody who works for him. Some of these ministers who are cash apping you for a prophecy have never been ordained by God to even receive offerings, tithes, and gifts on his behalf. You know, when we first started the ministry, I was talking to God about it. I was, you know, doing Bible study for my house. We would have our a little monthly outreach meeting. And I told God one time, I said, well, God, am I supposed to take these people's money or what am I supposed to do? You know, and um, I remember a, a woman sending me a letter in the mail. And she she told me, she said, I am sending you. She said, God told me to send you this offering. Just a real quick note. She said, you have helped me more than my own pastor does, and I respect you as a minister of God. So there's your answer. Hebrews says every high priest is ordained by God to receive. You don't receive because you think you're helping people. You're ordained by God to receive. You start messing around with money like that, you can forget having a good life. You got me? You're ordained by him. You're ordered by him to do these things. And if you're ordered by him, then people can validate his ordering you by the fact that God honors their giving. You see, well, you know what? I do get money back when I give here. I do. God does prosper me here. He just, you understand? You can gauge it yourself. So Jesus says, make everybody sit down now. We get ready to eat. (laughs) And they don't see it yet. (laughs) And when he said, verse 10, make the men sit down. There there was much grass in the place. So it wasn't a desert. It wasn't uncomfortable. So the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. Then they had the women's and the cheerings with them. Amen. They they assume now in Hebrew culture, sometimes men would would all the men always took the forefront as far as religious things were concerned. But this was a gathering of multitude of people that just followed him. So you just can't 
have that. So the men were to gather together their little ones and family around them, I'm assuming. And so he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks. Now, how did Jesus know this was going to work? See, giving thanks verbally with your mouth couldn't be all there is to it. Because we can all mouth all kinds of words and play the game. But Jesus, because he had thanksgiving in his heart, there was resident gratefulness and thanksgiving in his heart to the Father at all times. That's why everything he did worked. That's why he was moved with compassion and healed people. That's why every time he prayed for somebody, they got healed. All his words were accurate. None of his words fell to the ground. They all came to pass. Why? Because he had resident gratefulness in his heart he had resident thanksgiving in his heart not just mouthing it as a confession over that food and as a tradition and a habit and a routine so there's a difference between thanksgiving in your heart residing there as being the first thing that you offer to god when you have a need When you perceive lack, thanksgiving in your heart rises up to help you to meet God on his level, on the level of provision, on the level of success, on the level of not failing, on the level of getting the need met and then some. You never know how God's going to meet that need, but you know he's going to meet it. And the thanksgiving in your heart allows you access into his throne room because psalm 100 which one of it 100 verse 4 says enter his gates 107 22 enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart and into his courts with praise he knows the difference whether you doing it from the heart or whether you just saying it to try to get something Thanksgiving can't be a new thing with you and God. You can't be mad at him one minute because you lack and then the next minute, oh, I'm just so grateful. I'm just, I'm just, just thankful, just always grateful. That's your key to entering into the presence of God. Jesus knew that whatever was lacking started with correcting the lack of the presence of the father in the situation. That's got to come. You got to get God on the scene before you can get an answer, before you can get provision, before you get anything. And you got to keep him on the scene. Don't just leave him in your prayer closet when you drop in there and, and do a little worship and then go out for the rest of your day without him constantly be speaking to him worshiping him in in the secret place you know under your breath every other thing you do i thank you jesus thank you lord oh thank you lord hallelujah glory to god you you can generate that relationship and that presence and let him know that when i get into the workplace today lord i'm taking you in there with me i'm trusting you all day long lord 
I wouldn't leave you out for anything, Jesus. Amen. And so that thanksgiving and that praise is your connection to him all day long in any situation. You can't live without him. You won't get a decent answer without him. You won't get the abundance that's needed in the situation without him. You won't get any of those things without him. You won't get forgiven without him. So you can start over again after you goofed it up like the disciples did. Amen. Disciples probably looked and said, huh? You know, after they saw those people sitting there and getting fed too. Man, we never could have come up with Yes, you could have. But you got to learn the keys. Anybody can do this that that's following Jesus and learning the keys. So gratefulness and thanksgiving in the heart is required to enter into the presence of God. According to Psalm 107.22, I got that. Amos 4.5 says that thanksgiving is a sacrifice. Now, what does that mean, sacrifice? Well, the word sacrifice just means to slaughter the flesh or condemn the flesh. So when you thank God, you command your flesh to die to any activity or input in this transaction. Flesh, you're not needed here. I don't have to come up with a bright idea. No, I'm not calling so-and-so to see if they can help me out. I'm not going to get mad at somebody because if it wasn't for them owing me money, I could pay this bill myself kind of thing. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be thankful in my heart. Sometimes God is testing us because he wants to give us more material things. He wants to give us access to more wealth. Do you understand what I'm saying? He just... Are you going to remain grateful and thankful? Are you going to stay connected to me so that I can can help you to pass this test and you'll understand how important it is to do things my way and to trust me through these things? In Leviticus 7.15, they had to make a Thanksgiving offering where they actually had to kill an animal. Again, slaughtering flesh to show your devotion to God. So you can say, well, Jesus is our sacrifice. You can say that if you want to, but you're going to have to have some skin in the game, baby. If You, <laughs> you can't just be up and grabbing everything because he paid for it all. Thanksgiving slaughters your flesh in such a way that it takes the greed out of you so that you don't get into the presence of God and, and all of a sudden start thinking about, oh, I, that ain't enough. I mean, need more of that. Honey, if you go in with Thanksgiving, your flesh is not invited to the party. You got me? Greed stays on the outside. Jesus sat those men down so there wouldn't be a stampede when they saw the food coming. Anybody with good sense would, you understand what I'm saying? But, but there are, are things that we do in order to prepare the atmosphere for what God wants to bring into our lives. 
If you go out and buy a piece of furniture, you have a place in your house where you want to put it. Well, you clean that place. The minute you make that purchase, you go home and say, well, let me move this over here because you, know, you don't wait till the movers knock on the door and tell them to go move your stuff. Huh? I mean, unless a refrigerator or something like that. But we make room for the things that we are receiving by faith. You make room in your heart. Thanksgiving enlarges your capacity to receive from God. Thanksgiving puts unlimited capacity of receiving. Now look at this. They got 5,000 people there. And this little boy brought enough lunch just probably for him and a brother and a sister or something like that. And you mean Jesus with one thanksgiving and one prayer could enlarge that meal to take care of everybody with leftovers? So the only thing I can see that he did here was different from his disciples was he gave thanks for what when they cursed the little bit that they had because they said it's not enough. It won't work. That's cursing it. You condemn it to not being sufficient. So instead of him doing what they did and condemning it, he thanked God for it. I thank you for what we have. Oh, well, I'm confessing the word and I'm believing God for more things. You better thank him for what you got. Because the devil sneak up on you and take that. Don't condemn where you don't condemn what you have. Don't condemn where you are. Don't condemn people who always were nothing's ever adequate. Everything's not good enough. It's all ghetto. It just ain't right. Now I'm supposed to have more than who told you that? You better tell them to get to getting and bring it on in here. I'm supposed to. Are you supposed to be on your way to hell for all that stuff you did all your life? Remember when you confessed that? Tell me what you're supposed to have. Humility, submitting to God is a sacrifice. The Bible says that that is what he, a broken spirit and a contrite heart is what he desires out of us. Thanksgiving eventually will turn into joy and rejoicing. And that's how legitimate praise comes into the picture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. That means purify your heart of all bitterness all complaining, all murmuring, all sadness, all whatever it is that's got your pipes clogged up. Empty yourself of that. Confess it to God. Ask forgiveness for it. Get washed in the blood and joy will will be next. Amen. Now Jesus could go directly to the throne because he had no sin. He knew no sin. But if you know you all messed up and you've been sitting there complaining like I can see Andrew definitely and Philip got to stop by there. You understand what I'm saying? Huh? And be contrite and say, God, forgive me for doubting you. 
Forgive me for giving a carnal answer. Forgive me for not just telling Jesus, well, I don't know. I'm sorry. Well, I can pray. Can we pray and find out from the Father? None of them did that. They all had to come up with answers. So then Jesus gave thanks. He said he he took the loaves, verse 11, and when he had given thanks, he began immediately to distribute to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they wanted. God has in mind in every situation more than enough, as much as you want, as much as you need to satisfy that hunger, as much as you need, and then some beside. said after they finished eating, he told them to gather up the fragments. I like this part because this, this gets rid of everything that's, that's negative about the flesh is taken care of in the way he manages God's resources. This You see here excellent management of God's resources. I don't care. People say, well, it's just a little food. You know, you want to slap people. You know what I'm saying? Because God provided it. It's not just a little food. It's his provision. You notice when, when he fed them manna, he, he just had enough for the day. And if they tried to keep it overnight, except when they were permitted to, it rotted overnight and they couldn't. He said, no, I want you to come to me every day for what you need. I want to see you every day. Got me? I want you to obey me every day. Because you ain't going to make it very far if we don't set that up. Huh? You just won't. So when he had given thanks and distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Now, this is a picture of Psalm 23. Anybody get that picture? Amen. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Amen. So he sits them there, in, and he wants, now sheep would have to stand while they ate, of course, but after they ate, he let them rest so that they could be refreshed and they and they weren't just eating on the run and grabbing something and acting like a bunch of heathens. They were treated. Uh, this is the the table that God has set for us. This is the Father's table that He sets for His people. He's not going to have you uh, in haste. He's not going to have you barely fed. He's not going to have you in a rush all the time. He wants you to be at rest when He feeds you, and He says. And and likewise, the fishes as as much as they would. So as he fed people as long as they wanted to eat, Amen. This this was no time for um for uh, for a uh, overeater anonymous support group. You understand what I'm saying? When God sets a table, hey, it's no judgment here. Don't you get sick of these people, all these special diets, and they ain't worth nothing. They going to hell anyway. You understand what I'm saying? Special diet won't get you into heaven. Just doing vegetables ain't going to get you there either. huh? So you notice nobody messed with nobody about how they ate, how much they ate. Can I have more? Yes, you may. 
five seconds? Yes, you may. Even no, nah, don't put none in your pockets. Not nah, that ain't allowed. Don't go shopping on us. We just trying to feed everybody. But you eat as much as you want. That's hospitality. You know, I mean, seriously, is as a host, you have the right to call time on how much you give people. You know, you you don't want to encourage greed, but you don't want to be the food Nazi either. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to judge. There's no judgment at God's table. So the people in 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 Jesus wants people to know that they serve a God of abundance. He'll give you as much as you want. Nobody telling you to hold back. And when they were filled, verse 12, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments that remained, that nothing be lost. Gather the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Notice ain't no fish left, right? I just thought I'd remind y'all of that. What does it say? Bread, right? Ain't no fish. Uh, <laughs> I'm messing with y'all. But people ate what they wanted. They got full. They said, mm, this fish, I don't know, it may not last. I'm going to have to wolf this down. Get he let them do it. Amen. The fragments that were left, a lot of people teach a lot of different things about it, but they were given to the disciples. Each had a basket. Amen. Twelve disciples, each had a basket, excluding Jesus. We assume he knew what he was doing. With, but the fragments are those, they're always going to, every time you're fed, and I'm talking about feeding the word, every time you're fed, there's always something left behind for you to feast on later. Yes, See, the fragments represent the revelation that you get from God. If you go away meditating on what you just read, you've got fragments that you could feed on. Amen. In times of difficulty, when you need something, you, you, God will give you something from something you read in the word or something that's been preached to you. So that, and as a disciple and a student, you should want those fragments. Now, if you're just eating and getting full, you can go away and think nothing of it. But for those who are serious about God, those fragments are what you feed on until you meet them again. Amen. And so those things are extremely important. The other thing I like about Jesus is he is not a wasteful. God is not wasteful. Now, he's extravagant. He will give you the best and the most and more than enough, but he's not wasteful. So you have to find a way to use everything God puts in your possession. You don't throw stuff out like you don't because you don't want it anymore. Don't fit no more. You ask God, who do I give this to so it can be a blessing to them? Amen. You don't turn your nose up. This is how people get into poverty and how they get into lack. They begin to disdain what they have as excess instead of learning how to use it. You, you understand what I'm saying? The girls used to, to laugh at me. Now they say, oh, don't throw that away. Pastor Barbara, get you. Huh? And I will. Amen. Because I'm a good manager of what God said. Y'all don't have to beg him for stuff you need and believe him for stuff you need when ain't no money coming in here. Huh? 
And if I'm a bad steward, I'm not going to get anything. So I decided I was going to be a good steward of what God put into our hands. So we don't have any waste. You look at our meals and we got wall-to-wall food. And when everybody's full, there's wall-to-wall left. But it's never wasted. It's never wasted. We don't do that. For God's provision, as much sweat as it costs sometimes to pray that stuff in, we don't waste it. I'm not a wasteful person at all. You can look at my freezer. Some of that stuff you don't even know. Look, what is that? It's blue. No, it ain't blue. It's green. Now it's orange this morning. You know, whatever it is, I'm saving it. It's precious. God provided it. So, all right, we'll stop. Father, thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you for everything that you do for us. We are grateful. Help us to have gratitude, resident gratitude in our hearts at all times, Lord. That we can be on the ready to receive a miracle from you. And we thank you for it, Lord. And we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. If anybody needs-